Well, it's our last Sunday in the book of Galatians. It's been a number of months that we've been slowly working through it. Um, If we remember, this book is written by the Apostle Paul to a a region in Asia, uh, Asia Minor, actually. And it's a number of churches that are going to be reading this letter. He is writing it specifically to believers, not unbelievers. So this is not an evangelism type of letter, although the gospel is in it because it's Paul and it's God's word. And so it's there. But the focus of this for Paul is he wants God's people to know and understand the truth that they first believed in, not lose sight of the truth of the gospel, to recognize and see false teaching, the leaven that comes in and spreads throughout the whole lump of dough, let a little bit of false teaching in and it will spread through the church like wildfire. And so Paul says, you need to cut out that leaven. You need to get rid of that. Become a pure loaf of bread. Believe the gospel. Remember the gospel. So he talks of two things, justification and sanctification. He doesn't necessarily use those words exactly, although he talks about being justified. To be justified before God is to be made right in the eyes of God. That our sinful nature, our sin exposes the, the, or is, permeates every aspect of our life, every aspect of our heart. And there is nothing that we can do that's good enough to be made right in the eyes of God. If we do 50% good and 50% bad, or if we do 99% good but 1% bad, that 1% infiltrates the entirety of who we are. We have to be perfect if we will be made right or righteous in the eyes of God. And we can't. And so he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we may be made just in the eyes of God. And when we are made just, the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us, changes us, transforms us, sanctifies us, makes us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen in an instant. Justification does. But as soon as we're justified, sanctification happens. And it's a lifelong process from the moment that you are saved to the moment that you die or Jesus comes again you will always, as God's people, be sanctified. There is not one area of our life, or maybe I should put it this way, there is not anything in my life that all of a sudden I've made it. Oh, there's, there's, I've dealt with this sin, now I'm good. Now I can sit back and relax. And as my dad said many times growing up, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. One, yes, we must serve, but two, there's no retirement in that the Spirit never stops working on us. There is always another area of our life that sin has gotten root of and the Spirit wants to rip out of us, to purify us, to make us like Jesus Christ. That's in essence, what the book of Galatians is about. And he's very brutal in the way that he speaks to them. How can you forsake the gospel for justification by circumcision or justification by works? It's not. It's by grace. That's what you believed in. And now you're suddenly doing all these works. Why? 
In essence, he says, how can you, oh, you foolish Galatians. And that's not like, oh, you silly kids. He's brutal. Oh, you stupid Galatians, you ignorant children. How, how can you stray from the truth of the gospel which you know and which has saved you? to fall prey to something like this. And you go, well, that's harsh. It's not my words. These are the words of Paul. This is the words of God. And I think when we don't take things like that seriously, we become the foolish Galatians. We don't see the deepness and the horribleness. I don't even know if that's a word. I like that word. Horribleness of our sin against God. When we turn from his grace to works, then it becomes about us and not about him. It lifts us high and our works high and brings him low. That is blasphemy. That is wrong. And Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. Turn from those ways. He's not saying they're not believers because even as believers, we, we fail, right? Basically, I think what Paul is doing, he's like, okay, here's your sanctification. I am your sanctification. Here you go. I'm going to expose this, and now you need to turn from it. And then we get to these last two verses. And these last two verses really do summarize Paul's position on justification and sanctification for those who believe in Jesus Christ. These churches have allowed the leaven of false and deceitful beliefs to infiltrate the church and lead many down the path of eternal death through a gospel plus teaching, which really in the end is no gospel at all. To say, I believe the gospel, but you also have to be circumcised as a gospel plus. Well, it's good that you believe the gospel, but you need to be a part of a specific political party too. That's gospel plus. You, you need to believe the gospel, absolutely, but you also need to not use face cards when you gamble or play cards. That's old school, like, or dance or roller skate. That's a gospel plus, which is not the gospel at all. It's far from the good news of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. Paul wrote this letter to confront and correct the Galatian church's behavior and to remind them of the truth of the gospel message. And so he ends his letter with, and this is Mark's version of his phrase, for the time that we have left on this earth, let no one interfere with my teachings, my call, and the work of the gospel message through me. Now that can say, you could take that as like extremely selfish, right? But it's the same as when he says, my gospel do not forsake my gospel. That's not a selfishness. He's saying this is the truth. My gospel is the true gospel. So stop causing me trouble, please. What cause does Paul have for giving him uh, the, the church as such a command? Well, he says, he has a, a phrase right after this, for or because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, as was the practice of many cultures around the world, slaves taken in battle would, or raids would be branded as slaves. The word that he uses here, that Paul uses here, is stigmata. Hence, we get the word stigma. You get the mark of a slave. 
It's a stigma against you. It's a mark against you. These marks proclaim to all who saw it that this particular individual was a slave and to whom that slave belonged. It was a mark of disgrace and shame. But Paul, good old Paul, uses this word in high regard. He's proud of his marks, plural, not singular. Why? Because he received them for the sake of the gospel. If you read about the life and missionary journeys of Paul in the book of Acts, we will see that he was shipwrecked, imprisoned, stoned, bitten by a snake, scourged, and beaten, to just say a few, for his witness to and sharing of the gospel message. In 1989, the movie Glory, great movie, absolutely wonderful. I, I, love, I love that movie. It follows an African-American army regiment in the Union Army during the Civil War. In a powerful scene, Denzel Washington's character is facing the punishment of being whipped for an infraction, which was a common discipline um, in armies of the time. And, but as he removed his shirt... To face the punishment, his many scars from previous whippings are revealed. Everyone knows what they are and what they represent, that he was a former slave. But where his scars, this character's scars, are symbols of cruelty, inhumanity, barbarism, and sin, Paul's scars symbolize the reality of the gospel message. He had the proof in the marks upon his skin that proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ had repercussions for those who proclaimed the truth. The world hates the gospel and will do anything to stop it from being heard. And Paul is testament to that truth. Why should no one cause Paul trouble? because he bears the physical scars of preaching the truth of the gospel, proof that he is not enslaved to the desires of man, but to the desires of Christ, no matter the cost. There's also another purpose in these words. One of Paul's main concerns is the false teaching of the requirement of circumcision for justification. These false teachers were boasting in the circumcision of others, a physical mark setting Jews apart from the pagan world in order to avoid persecution. That's what these false teachers are. I'm going to boast in your circumcision so that I can tell the Jews and the Romans, we're okay. We're actually Jews. We're just a weird sect of Jews, so don't persecute us. But Paul's scars are evidence that he has not and will not avoid persecution for the sake of the gospel message. His scars set him apart from an unbelieving world, proving that he is a slave to Christ and not ashamed to let the whole world know to whom he belongs. The gospel message brings enemies upon anyone who proclaims it, but Paul's physical marks point to a blessing that only a slave to Christ actually receives. And that's grace. Grace is undeserved acceptance and love received from another. That's its technical term. 
In this case, it is God's grace given to those who belong to him, those who are slaves to him, where false teachers were proclaiming that God would not love or accept the Galatians until they obeyed the law of Moses. The gospel teaches that no amount of their obedience can earn God's love or acceptance. Their sinful rebellion of God separates them from him, and any good work of theirs is tainted by their sin. But for those who are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to Christ, because the reality is is that we're slave to someone or something, all of us are, believer or not, for those who are truly the Israel of God, they receive grace. They receive God's undeserved love and acceptance. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. They didn't pay for it. God changed their hearts from rejection of God to acceptance of God, from unfaithfulness to faithfulness, from disobedience to obedience. That's sanctification. The blessing of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is found for everyone who believes in the gospel message. Let me say that again. The blessing of the grace of God is found for everyone who believes in the gospel message. And then Paul ends his letter with one simple and yet profound word. Amen. We say it, right, at the end of prayers. We say it after we pray for our food or whatever. Maybe we say, amen. Everybody goes, amen. Do we know what that means? It's a Hebrew word that means steadfast and sure. It conveys a confirmation of what has just been said. May it be just as it was said. And so when we pray for that Big Mac and we say, may this be healthy for our bodies, let it be so. God laughs, right? But that's what we're saying. May everything that we just said, and in Paul's case, everything that he just wrote, every single word from his prayers to his calling them out in sin, Every single word that he wrote from the first to the last, may it be confirmed, may it be made sure, may it be unwavering, may it be unfaltering in the lives of all true believers in Christ, the true Israel of God, who read these words. Now he's writing specifically to these Galatian churches. But as we read this, we are the church of God if we too believe in the gospel. And Paul is saying here, amen. May we hear these words and not forget them. But may we hear these words, be convicted by them, be encouraged by them. May they be in our lives something that is unaltered, unaltering, totally foundational. May we hear these words and believe them and may they be true for us as God's people. So that we don't just walk out this door and go, well, those are some nice words, weren't they? That was, that was a great sermon. Or that was a horrible sermon. 
But you know, it was, he tried. It was, it was pretty good words. Paul's a nice guy. But instead, maybe we go out and maybe we ask questions. How, how, is this true about me? How do I live this out? And so here at the end we have to, of the book of Galatians, we have to ask ourselves some pretty serious questions. You see, we don't go through verse by verse through different books of the Bible. Next week, we're going to start First and Second Samuel. And we don't just do that because Mark needs something to do for the week. <laughs> or, oh, I need some little encouragement on Sunday. That, that's true. That's true. But we go verse by verse because all of the Word of God, all of it is good for us as God's people. All of it points us to him. All of it speaks to us. And when we skip or we move and we go, nah, I don't really like what Paul says here or John says here or Jesus says here. So I'm going to go someplace else and I really like this chapter because, you know, it's about love. It's about love. Like 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody loves that chapter, right? Have you actually read through that chapter? In essence, he's saying, yeah, you can't do this either. <laughs> this is love, yes, but you fail at it all the time, which is why you need Christ. All of it points to Him, and all of it points us to Him. And so when we hear these words of the gospel, when we hear these words of God's word, which is true and faithful and inerrant and right, as God's people, we hear it and it changes us. So we have to ask ourselves these questions getting to the end of Galatians. First, in whom are we trusting our justification before God? If we trust in our own good works to cover up our many sins, which infiltrate every aspect of our hearts, minds, and actions, we will be found wanting when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will find in that moment, as we stand before our Lord, that he, it is too late for us. It's too late to be made right before God. If we wait till that moment, we will be lost. But for those who trust in the grace of God for our justification now, we are found to be profoundly blessed in this life and in the next life. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ with confidence, assured that our debt before God has been paid in full by the life and blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. Second, we need to ask ourselves, in whom are we trusting our sanctification? So who are we trusting our justification? Who are we trusting our sanctification, our ability to obey the commands of God more and more? throughout our life. If we trust in our own abilities, if we trust in other people around us, if you trust your pastor to sanctify you, heaven help you. <laughs> heaven help you. I cannot change your heart. My wife likes to joke and says, I am your sanctification mark. And she's right, but she can't change my heart no matter how hard she tries. But God can use her and through the power of God change me. God can use my words as a preacher to speak the truth, but it ain't my words and it ain't me who sanctify. It's the Spirit of God in us. 
Because the source of our ability to obey God comes not from our own strength, but from the work and the power of God himself who abides in us as his people. God, the Holy Spirit, changes us. He transforms us more and more into the image and character of Jesus Christ. So in whom are we trusting for our justification? In whom are we trusting for our sanctification? Thirdly, what marks of our slavery to Christ are visible to those around us? This kind of brings it home a little bit more. How do others know that we belong to Christ? Is it obvious to them that He is our master? Or are we seen simply as nice people no different than anyone else in the world? Man, that Mark, he's a nice guy. Oh, does he believe in Jesus? I don't know, but he's a nice guy. He always waves at me. Or maybe a deeper question to ask is, am I ashamed of the marks of Christ? Do I cover up my identity as belonging to Christ? Am I ashamed of Christ and his gospel which saved me? Do I hide my loyalty to him? May we who are God's people unashamedly expose our marks of slavery to Christ, our stigmata, the stigma that comes with the gospel in our culture today. May we know that in our slavery to him, we receive God's unmerited and unearned favor and love. We are justified before him. And instead of shame, our marks should lead us to give him all glory and honor and praise, pointing anyone who will listen to Christ alone. It's, it's not easy. If, if, any, and if any of you have had a conversation with me, I have shared some of the struggles that I have with as a pastor living out in my neighborhood the gospel. People know that I'm a pastor. That doesn't mean that they know that I'm a slave to Christ. It's not easy to do this. And yet, as we grow in Christ, as we hear his word, and taught to us and spoken to us as the Spirit takes the Word of God and He's slowly transforming us and changing us. He changes our hearts. We've, we've looked in, the, in Galatians, we've said a number of times, this is a heart issue. This is not an action issue. That's part of it. Our actions flow where our heart is. The words of, that come out of our mouth reveal where our heart actually lies. That's biblical. That's, that's what Christ said. <laughs> it is not what you put in that makes one dirty. It is what comes out, which means it's what's in the heart that makes one unclean. Are we ashamed of being a slave to Christ? Can we move past that shame and say with Paul, I am unashamed of the grace and the love and the truth of who Jesus is. 
And then finally, can we say amen to everything in this letter? The Bible, the inerrant word of God, is given to reveal God to us as his people. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is profitable. Not 75%, which means even the stuff that we don't understand, even the stuff that we don't like, maybe even the stuff that we want to reject, all of it is good for us as God's people. It is all breathed out by God. It is all profitable to His people to train us, to teach us, to correct us, to reprove us. The Word of God is not something to take lightly, to pick and choose what we like, discarding, ignoring, or dismissing those teachings that challenge us. The book of Galatians is a confrontation for believers to examine what they teach, to examine what they are taught, and to examine where their loyalties lie. God has spoken through His servant Paul, and God's words are sure, steadfast, trustworthy, unwavering, and unfaltering, and pointing us to the blessing of the grace of God. Grace. You don't have to work for God's favor. You don't have to serve in the children's ministry at Elm Creek for God to love you. You don't have to attend every single Sunday or once a month just to make sure you're good to have God love you. Once you receive the grace of God, you'll want to be at church every single Sunday. or at least get you to that point. (laughs) Sanctification, right? Once you receive the grace of God, you just fall in love with Him more and more to reveal the fact that I know my own sinful heart. Okay, so I know the darkness of my heart. I know the places that I struggle. I know that I am not a perfect man. And it amazes me that anybody but my mother, in fact, maybe my mother, love me. Because I know me. Moms have to love their kids, right? It's kind of like in the contract or something. Why do my kids love me? Why, do my, why does my wife love me? I don't deserve that. I didn't earn it. In fact, I still think she wasn't quite right when she said yes, that she would marry me. Because I'm like, why? why? Why would you love me? And if I'm amazed that somebody here on earth, I'll bring it to you. Why did you hire me as a pastor? I, I, I don't know. Many of you are probably thinking the same thing, right? Like, I know my heart. I know my failings. And if I'm amazed that somebody on her, earth can love me in that way, can care for me in that way. How much more the perfect holy God of the universe loves me 
despite me. He knows who I am. He knows me better than me. And yet he says, but Mark, I love you. And I have saved you. I have made you my child. You didn't earn it. I gave it to you. How beautiful is that? And that's what Paul's trying to get at. Galatians, why are you doing circumcision? Why are you doing works? God already loves the God of the universe. The one who said you should be circumcised now says, you don't need to be circumcised physically. I'm going to circumcise you spiritually. I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you my people from the inside out, not the outside in, because you can't do it from the outside in. I'm going to work in you, and I love you despite you. So love me. See my grace. Feel my grace. Experience my grace. And so Paul says, amen. He doesn't use that word lightly, as in like it's the end of a prayer, now let's go eat. It's, may this be sure and true and right and unfaltering in your life. So for us today as believers, as the church of God, do we believe? Do we believe in the grace alone, through faith alone, that we are found to be children of God. Do we believe that? Then will we join Paul in saying amen and amen to all the words of God that are written in this book? Not just the book. And when I say the book, I mean this book right here. Every single word to point us to him, to make him great, and to have us go off into the distance and being seen small, point people to him. Can we say amen? I'll let you in on a little secret. If you are saved by grace through faith, then the answer is yes. Even when we falter, even when we fail to obey God as we do, and we're convicted, and we repent, and God forgives us, and he's already forgiven us, when we turn from our ways and we strive to fight him, we don't practice sin. Instead, when we sin, we repent and, and we fight and we fight and we fight because we want to give him the glory. When we do that, if we are children of God, we can say amen. Not that it is finished now. I'm still a work in progress, but in a way it, it is. God has already done all of this to us. We're just experiencing a little bit of the grace and joy and the awesomeness that is God. And when we stand before him, we will be made complete, a new creation, completely changed. Amen and amen for God's people. Father, may you use these words. We're <sighs> it's, it's overwhelming. There's this conviction, God, in my own heart of, of sin and wanting to be obedient to you and seeing where the darkness of my heart is and wanting to fight it tooth and nail. And yet this overwhelming joy, this overwhelming sense of being your child, that you have saved me despite me, that you were glorious, you were great. It makes me want to just praise you. I pray, Father, that when we see the sin, when you reveal that sin to us, that we have yet to hand over to you, when you sanctify us, that we will not become depressed and bogged down. Instead, Father, that you will pick us up by our bootstraps. You will give us the power. 
to fight tooth and nail for your glory and your greatness. That as your people, we might say amen and amen and amen every single day because your words are true, your words are sure, you are always faithful, you are always right. And so we come before you, Father, and we trust you more and more each and every day of our lives for your glory and not ours. Help us not to be ashamed of being your people. Help us not to hide the stigmata of being a child of you, but to use that mark, Father, to use those marks to point them to you, to the one to whom we belong. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing our final song together.